0: So you noticed I put up on the screen, Passover, connecting the dots. Uh, I love your graphic. We're connecting some dots today. Um, What we're going to do today, I'm going to read a lot of scripture. You can follow along. The scripture is not going to be on the screen. The citation will be there. Uh, If you want to follow along on your phone in a Bible, you can. If you want to just listen and let the story kind of wash over you, man, do that too. Because uh, sometimes in the church... I always love Scripture read, but sometimes it is nice in the church to have long sections, long portions of Scripture just read. And so we're going to read quite a bit today out of Exodus as we trace uh, the story of what happened there and how it connects to uh, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem that we're celebrating today, called Palm Sunday. Um, So some questions I I want you to think about and ask yourselves as we travel through this together uh, are this. Uh, What do I learn about God's character in this text? So be thinking about that as I read this. What do I learn about the character of God? How do these stories relate to the story of Christ? How do these stories relate to the story of Christ? And how do they change what I should be doing, living, or thinking? So think about those three things. What I learn about the character of God? How do these stories relate to the story of Christ? And how do they change me? How should I live differently. Now, I'm going I'm to give you some backstory because we could read a whole lot more, but I'm just going to tell you the story real quick. Backstory, before we get to Exodus 1, remember with me that Joseph had helped Egypt avert a catastrophic famine. And if you remember, he had been sold into slavery, thrown into a pit. Uh, his brothers forsake him, gave him up, went home, told mom and dad he had died. Uh, in fact, what had happened is they sold him off to be a slave uh, he found himself, uh, through a variety of experiences, which we won't go into, in the court of the Pharaoh of Egypt as his, his right-hand guy, his second-in-command. Because of interpreting uh, some dreams, he was able to, uh, to lead Egypt to avert a famine because Pharaoh was having dreams about um, fat cows and thin cows. And fat heads of grain and thin heads of grain. And he didn't know what it meant. And he asked, he asked uh, Joseph, what does it mean? And he explained to him that there's uh, going to be fat years and lean years and we need to save in advance. Pharaoh believed him, put him in charge of everything over Egypt. The famine hit. Egypt had plenty of food enough, in fact, that other countries from all around the Middle East came to them to get food. Joseph's family was one of the families that came to get food. Uh, Joseph recognized them they didn't recognize Joseph, probably because he had guyliner on. You know, and his, he probably had one of those cool pharaoh 2nd in command hats. And he was probably like real tan, and I think he's probably this buff guy. And they're like, they didn't, they didn't recognize that as the Joseph they threw in the hole. I don't wear guyliner. But I've seen some guys wear it, and it looks good on them. If, if you can pull it off, I mean, go for it. <laughs> At Joseph's invitation... I hear laughing uproariously from other places in the building. (laughs) Uh, At Joseph's invitation after the recognition uh, between the two groups that they were in fact family, he asked uh, all his brothers, 11 brothers, uh, the rest of the family to move to Egypt uh, where there was food and he began to take care of them. And we're going to pick up in Exodus 1 at what happened at this point um, because uh, their father Dies and the kids, the brothers wonder: Is now when Joseph's going to take his revenge? <laughs> and we'll see what happens. So that's that's the story of how the the people of Israel ended up in Egypt. And now we're going to see where that goes. We're going to start in Exodus one. Uh, we're going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read Exodus two. We're going to read Exodus three uh, parts of it, and then we're going to jump around a couple other places. A lot of scripture. So just just listen. It says these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt. Uh, with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. These are the descendants of Jacob. Uh, They were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied, and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now, Egypt has a problem. The land is filled with foreigners that, that Joseph brought in, uh, and there was a new king, it says in verse 8, that arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. You remember the prior Pharaoh, the prior king, knew Joseph, respected Joseph, loved Joseph, gave him second-handed command. Um, he was dead now, Uh, along with Joseph, and a second new king arose over Egypt. Who do not know him. He said to his people, Behold, the land of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. If war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from this land. They, they, They therefore set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom, and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of Israel. So they ruthlessly made all people of Israel work as slaves, made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. And uh, in all their work, they were ruthlessly made them to work as slaves. So then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, things are getting out of control. Uh, One of them who was named Shepherah, and the other, Pua, when you serve, he said, as midwives to the Hebrew woman, see them on the stool. If it is a son, you shall kill him. Man. If it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. And I mean, their, their whole job was bringing babies into the world. So of course, they're not going to want to kill the babies. The midwives feared God, it says in verse 17, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded and let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said, what's going on? Why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwife said to the Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can come to them. I think it was a little tale. There were, there were telling a ton of little tale there. So God uh, dwelt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew strong. So no matter what Pharaoh did, Israel grew and grew and, grew. and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let the daughters live. The king uh, was desperate to control Egypt. Uh, I don't know what the percentage. Uh, I, I probably should have looked. I'm interested now to know somebody who has uh, Google or, or some kind of uh, theological doc. Anybody have a, like a thesaurus with you or a? Uh, commentary. You could look it up. I'm interested to know how much bigger Egypt uh, the the people of Israel were than Egypt that they were afraid of. I don't know, but Scripture says they were more than the people of Egypt, and he has a problem, so he says the firstborn shall be killed by being thrown in the river. Chapter two says this. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The Levi, or the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could no longer hide him, she took him uh, for, uh, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes, daubed it with bitumen and pitch so it would float, uh, arguably. She put the child in it, placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. His sister stood at a distance to know what would be done with him. So her, his, his sister tracked the little basket floating down the stream with the baby. This is a, a great story here. I love this story. Now, the Pharaoh, the daughter of the Pharaoh, it says, came down to bathe at the river, and while her young women walked beside the river, she saw a basket with, uh, floating among the reeds, and she sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw there was a child. And behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him, on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then, the, this is the baby's sister. Then his sister, who was following at a distance, watching the basket, said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And So the girl went and called the child's mother. How beautiful is that? <laughs> so uh, the Pharaoh's daughter didn't know this. The Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me. I will give you your wages. So she not only got her baby back, but she got paid. The moms are out there are all, are all like, Dang it. I didn't work this right. They get paid uh, wages uh, to raise the child. Okay, so the woman took the child, which was her own, and nursed him. When the child grew older at some point, we don't know the age, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. I love that story because that's an interesting turnaround there, isn't it? Unexpected. One day when Moses had grown up, it says in verse 11, he went out to his people, looked on their burdens, saw an Egyptian... I'm sorry, yeah, saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way, he looked that way, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian uh, and hid him in the sand. He killed the guy. Have you ever taken uh, matters into your own hands and done things the way you thought, hey, this will be, yeah, this will be a good thing to do? And then afterwards, you're like, oh, no. Yeah, this was one of those moments. Oh, no. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, saying, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the other Egyptian? And he was like, oh no, I've been found out. Somebody was watching. Then Moses was afraid and shot and thought, surely this thing is known. When the Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. They sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian has seven daughters. They came to draw water and fill the troughs to feed and water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock when they came home to see their father rule. He said, how is it you have come home so soon today? And he said, they they said uh, to their father, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds. And he even drew water for us and he watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zephora. She gave birth to a son. They called him Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During many days, the king of Egypt died. During those many days. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. This is important here. It says their cry for rescue from slavery up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob and God saw the people of Israel and God knew I love that God knew think about that we talked I asked you I gave you three questions to think about at the beginning what do you learn about the character of God right (laughs) What do we learn about the character of God? How do these relate to the story of Christ? How do they affect me? How should I live as a result of them? God knows. Whatever is happening, whatever is going on, God knows. Their groans and their cries went up. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, Moses, in chapter 3, it says, was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is the bush not burned? I'm sure he had seen wildfires before living in the desert. Um, If you've ever lived out in the desert, you've probably seen wildfires. I actually set a wildfire once accidentally. Um, That's another story altogether. It was very small. It just burned the fence in my yard. You shouldn't play with gas and matches. That's the moral of the story. And it was in a desert. Fortunately, nothing else burned. Just the fence. <laughs> so Moses, being curious, why is this thing not catching the whole desert on fire, went over to sea, right? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals. Your feet, uh, Take the sandals off your feet for the place on which you were standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses, it says, hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with, with which some Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, there's eight more chapters after that that I'm not going to read today. And some of you are like, "Darn, I would love to hear it." And Some of you are like, "Whew, this is a lot of reading." It is a lot of reading, Um, but I I love this story, and without capturing some of it, you don't really capture any of it. The next eight chapters are devoted to uh, Pharaoh and Moses uh, back and forth over the plagues, Uh, so we're not going to go through those, but there were ten plagues that the Lord employed uh, through the work of Moses, Um, and these ten plagues were this, the plague of blood of frogs, of gnats, of flies, of livestock, of boils, of hail, of locusts, of darkness. And then the last plague, the plague of the death of the firstborn. Um, Each time he employed these, uh, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Pharaoh got close to letting him go, and then his heart would be hardened. He wouldn't let him go. And this happened over and over again to the point where we find ourselves in chapter 11. Things have become um, dire for the Pharaoh, although he doesn't know it yet. Starting in verse 11, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. Another one of my favorite parts of the story is that when the people of Israel were released, they plundered Egypt, but... um, out of politeness, they, they gave them everything. They didn't have to, to, to oppress them or steal it from them. It says, The Lord God gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the uh, man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, in the sight of the people. Moses said, Thus the Lord says, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even the firstborn of the slave Girl who is behind the handmill, all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor will ever be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that ye may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, "Get out, you and all the people who follow you." And after that, I will go out. And he. And he went out from the Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the lands of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and did not let the people go out of his land. Now we turn to the Passover, our, our last big chapter of reading. Um, this is where we find the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament connecting in Christ on the day that he entered Jerusalem because he was on his way there with his disciples to celebrate the Passover. The Lord said to Moses, it says in chapter 12, and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, every man shall take Uh, a lamb according to their father's household, a lamb for a household. If a household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, and you shall make your count for the lamb. The lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel and the lintel of the houses, that's the doorpost and then the lintel goes across the top, in which they shall eat the lamb. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head and legs and inner parts. And you shall let none remain until the morning. If anything remains until the morning, you shall burn it. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, sandals on your feet staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste for it is the lord's passover i will pass through the land of egypt that night and i will strike all the firstborn in the land of egypt both man and beast all the gods and on all the gods of egypt i will execute judgments i am the lord the blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are and when i see the blood i will pass over you and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt this shall be for you a memorial day you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever you shall keep it as a feast 7 days you shall eat unleavened bread on the first you shall remove leaven from your house for anyone who eats what is leaven from the first day until the 7th that person shall be cut off from Israel on the first day you shall hold a holy assembly and on the 7th day a holy assembly no work shall be done on those days But whatever everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month of the fourteenth day of the month at the evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. Very specific here. For seven days no leaven is found in your house. Anyone who is eat will be cut off. From the congregation of Israel. Whether sojourner or native, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. Then Moses called all of the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select the lambs for yourselves according to the clans and kill the Passover lamb. And then he repeats the story to the people. I'm not going to reread it, but he repeats all of the instructions to the people of Ghent. Uh, and it says, The people of Israel went. We're picking up in verse 28. The people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded, and Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now we pick up at verse 29, chapter 12. It says, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock, and Pharaoh rose up in the night. He and all his servants and all the Egyptians there was a great cry, it says, in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then the Pharaoh, he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go, serve the Lord as I have said. Take your flocks, your herd, your herds, and, and as you have said, be gone and bless me also. And then the Exodus began. couple of things I just want to point out, and then we're going to read one more thing as we transition into communion. God's plan for us in his story of redemption is not a disjointed mess. I don't know what religious tradition or irreligious or non-religious tradition you grew up in, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week when Easter comes as well, but um, I used to think, you know, God had a plan for Jesus, and he sent him, uh, and it was thwarted by men who killed him. That's In, in, the, in, the, in the tradition I grew up in, it was kind of like, oh no, this terrible thing happened to Jesus. Don't get me wrong, it was terrible. But Scripture teaches so clearly that at just the right time, I love that, that phrasing, at just the right time, Christ died for us. That was God's plan from the beginning. Uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament really do fit together. They're not disjointed. They're not one story and another story. There's not a first God and a second God. It's not God 1.0 and God 2.0. It's God everlasting all the way through. He doesn't change. He doesn't slumber. Uh, There's no shadow in Him. He is light. He has all the things we've been talking about, light, love, wisdom. Uh, He's powerful. He's almighty. Uh, All of these things we've talked about are true about Him. We're going to pick up a little bit more on that thread next week. But I want you to see from this reading and the connection we're going to make in a moment in Luke that, that that this wasn't some kind of plan of God that was thwarted by the crucifixion of Christ, but that the the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ was God's plan from the beginning. That at just the right time, Christ died for us. Second thing I want to point out is God cares for those that are His. He cares for those that are His. He's active in the lives of the people who are His. I love that that one... that. The two words, you know, everybody's like, what's the shortest verse in Scripture? Jesus wept, right? Uh, And we joke about that. This isn't actually the whole verse, but I love those two words, God knew. God knew. God knew what was going on in their lives. God knew everything about them. Uh, He, He had numbered every hair on their head. He collected every tear. You can read all about this in Scripture, Psalms, Proverbs. They all talk about the character of God and, and how God loves and cares for those who are His. It said, God looked on them and He was concerned. I have seen their misery. I have heard them crying out. I'm concerned for their suffering. God knew. It's the same for you and I today. God knows. What are you crying out about? What suffering is going on? What misery? What problems, what things are happening in your life that no one else knows about, God knows. God knows. Third thing I want to point out is the work and the plans of God don't just happen off the cuff. Anybody, uh, you ever been accused by fly, about flying by the seat of your pants? You ever heard that one? Fly? Yeah, you have. There's a, a couple of us. Um, I try not to do that. I can pretty good at flying by the seat of my pants, but I shouldn't. We, sh- we shouldn't. Uh, and God doesn't fly by the seat of His pants either. God doesn't just decide things off the cuff. At just the right time, Christ died for us. Somewhere between 1,500, 1,600 years later, depending on how you count, what book you read, what theologian you consult, we find ourselves fast-forwarded to Luke 22. Uh, and that is where we find ourselves today, kind of where we're celebrating this event uh, from the past. But about 1,500, 1,600 years later, after this event, we find ourselves in the last days of Christ where he's with his disciples uh, and he's been teaching them and he's been talking with them and he's been training them and he's been preparing to launch them out as literally the planters of the new church. Of Christ in the world, but He has a little bit more time with them, and in Luke twenty-two, we're going to pick up on the story that connects to what we just read. Chapter twenty-two. It's also not going to be on the screen. You can read along chapter twenty-two in Luke, uh, or you can just listen. It says this: Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which we just read about, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking How to put Jesus Christ to death because uh, of what he had been doing. But it says, But they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas Iscariot, who was one of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray Christ up to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread on Passover, uh, on which the Passover lamb uh, had to be sacrificed. Another one of my favorite stories in Scripture. It says, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying the jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. Tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is... The guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. They went and they found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Some pretty specific instructions. um, They must have thought, wow, this is going to be, we're just going to waltz into town and start asking people uh, to use their rooms. But God doesn't operate off the cuff. Jesus wasn't flying by the seat of his pants. He had a plan. He had a purpose. He had a mission. We're going to integrate the rest of the reading with with taking communion, but we're going to do it out of order because you'll see as we read this, um, often in church in, 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 growing up, or, or probably your experience, is that you usually take the, the bread first and then you drink. But if you read in Luke... Um, the drink comes first, and then the bread after. So we're going to do this out of order. It'll be a little tricky with your little peel-back cup and your little, uh, your little peely thing. Um, but we're going we're gonna to try this, see how this goes in a moment. Um, but communion is open to all who are in Christ. If you have come to the point in your life, some point in your life, it, it could have been when you, were, when you were 10, 30, 50, whenever it was, that you have committed your life to Jesus Christ. You have asked him to save you. You have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and believed that God raised him from the dead. Scripture says you are saved. If you are in that, that, that category called in Christ, you are welcome to share communion with us. If you are not yet in Christ, Paul teaches don't, don't take it. Scripture teaches don't, don't, don't take communion. Um, also, if you have any outstanding issues with a brother or sister, Uh, not just a sibling, as I see some siblings look at each other, not just a sibling brother or sister, but a brother and sister in Christ, or a brother or sister who is not in Christ. (laughs) Somebody that you have an issue with. Scripture says, you know, um, hold off. Go make that right first. Go before your brother, your sister, your friend, your family, your enemy, whatever it is, make things right. Then come and celebrate communion. Also, this is a time for us to reflect. Where are we in our walk with Christ? Uh, you know that better than I do. Um, I can't point that out for you. We don't do confession as we do in some uh, traditions. You can go to the Father on your own because of the work of Jesus Christ, who is the only mediator between God and man. So um, I'm going to take a moment. We're going to pray. You can have a moment to pray, to think, uh, before we read Scripture, before we take communion. Just to reflect on that, um, Scripture says uh, to, to ask the Lord, Father God, is there any wicked way in me? Show me anything that's wrong, anything that's out of place, anything that's, that's uh, unfruitful, anything that's sinful. And so, Lord God, Father, um, we're, we're going to pray quietly for a moment, but I'm also going to lead us in a prayer and say, Father, Lord God, if there are any wicked way in us, please, uh, please point that out to us, that we may uh, ask for forgiveness for those things. And Lord, we're gonna—we're just gonna pray silently for a moment individually now. Father, we—we we love you. We honor you. We thank you for hearing us. We thank you that. Uh, we don't need a, a priest or a, or a pastor or a, or a, a man called Father or, or a man called Rabbi or, or any man or woman to, to stand in uh, between us and our conversation with you, but that you, uh, because of Christ, Lord, have opened the, the way that we can communicate with you. So, Lord, Father God, we thank you for hearing us. We thank you for forgiving us. And we pray and ask that you continue to conform us into the image of God of your Son, Jesus Christ. and Lord, we as we reflect on this communion, Lord, thank you for reminding us um, of who you are and the plans that you have. Thank you for knowing. Thank you for simply knowing us. Lord, thank you, God, for loving us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So it says, continuing in Luke 22, The hour had come, and they reclined at the table. The apostles were with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among you, among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. And then it says he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup that is poured out for you in the new covenant of my blood. Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. Again, pointing to the fact that it has already been decided. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. They began to question one another, which of them it could be that was going to do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we remember today, maybe, maybe more than even recently in, a, in, a, in another time of communion, we remember all, all the way back to the first Passover, Lord how you moved, how you worked, how you, how you called people, how you even worked in people's mistakes. The, the whole of the Old Testament, uh, man, it, that's one thing that it shows us is that um, you continue to work in mistake after mistake. Moses taking things into his own hand uh, and, and killing an Egyptian instead of waiting upon your plan. Uh, Lord, the people of Israel, as they struggled in the desert uh, to get to where they were supposed to be going, and as they grumbled, and as they complained, and as they uh, worshipped false idols, Lord, again and again, uh, your people, um, us, Lord, we have made mistakes. We try on our own, we try in our own way, in our own methods, in our own patterns, in our our own minds to, to figure things out. You have been patient with us. And again and again and Lord, uh, if there's anything today that 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 just reminds me and sticks with me, is that you are a, a patient God. You're patient, Lord. We love you. We thank you for your patience. Lord, we pray this in the name of your Son Jesus.